together. God, thank you that today, even in the storms of life, things can be well in our soul. God, if we walk with you and if we're close to you, as we get ready to open your word and study your word today, as we get ready to talk about prayer, help us learn how to nourish and strengthen our soul in our daily walk with you. We love you. We see things in Jesus' name. And everyone said together, amen. In November of 2011, Danielle and I began a six-month journey uh, preparing to start this church, which we would start in September of 2012. Uh, and, and what we did is basically we created a map of some of the most influential uh, and impactful churches in America. And we said, let's go look at those churches. We, we found churches that were doing um, tons of work and having tremendous global impact in areas of poverty uh, and in areas where Jesus wasn't known. We found churches that were having great impact on their community from the educational centers of their community to poverty-stricken people in their community. We found churches that had had a high retention rate of bringing people into their church that maybe didn't like church or that didn't go to church a whole lot before they found that church. And they started going there. And and we said, let's just go see what those churches do. We want to build a church that maybe people who aren't in church or people who don't like church will come to. We want to build a church that has impact in our community and hurting people in our community. We want to build a church that uh, has impact around the world and hurting people who are in the world. So we went to about a dozen churches over a period of six months. And the first church we went to was a church in California uh, named Saddleback Church. Their pastor was a man named Rick Warren, uh, and he is one of the, m- the more influential. Time Magazine called him the most influential Christian pastor in the world a, uh, a few years ago. Um, and, and he is a man who, through their church, um, they have given tens of millions of dollars to fight AIDS in America and in Africa. They've given tens of millions of dollars to fight poverty in America and around the world. There, he, he's a man who um, has had presidential debates on his stage, Republicans, Democrats alike, who have come and said thank you to his church for how they're helping to make an impact in the world. Uh, and about 10 days ago, maybe you heard uh, Pastor Rick had a, uh, just, just went through an extremely difficult time uh, as he and his family walked through tragedy together. His 27-year-old son committed suicide about a week and a half ago. Uh, and because he lives so much in the public eye. He kind of ministered in the public eye through the death of his son. And he wrote a letter to his church that I want to read you as we enter into today's subject. And and I want to pose a few questions to you today. Pastor Rick said this to his church. And Danielle and I now have been there, oh gosh, a dozen times. And Pastor Rick Muchow, who came and led worship last year, was with Pastor Rick for 25 years. So we felt like we're a little bit of the Saddleback family. He said, to my dear Saddleback family, over the past 33 years, We've been together through every kind of crisis. Kay and I have been privileged to hold your hands as you face crisis or loss, to stand with you at gravesides and prayed for you when ill. Today, we need your prayer for us. No words can express the anguish, grief we feel right now. Our youngest son, Matthew, age 27, and a lifelong member of Saddleback, died today. You who watched Matthew grow up knew he was an incredibly kind, gentle, and compassionate man. He had a brilliant intellect and a gift for sensing who was most in pain or most uncomfortable in a room. He'd then make a beeline for that person to engage and encourage them. But only those closest knew that he struggled from birth with mental illness, dark holes of depression, and even suicidal thoughts. In spite of of America's best doctors, meds, counselors, and prayers for healing, the torture of mental illness never subsided. Today, after a fun evening together with Kay and me and a momentary wave of despair at his home, he took his life. Kay and I often marveled at his courage to keep moving in spite of relentless pain. I'll never forget how many years ago, after another approach had failed to give relief, Matthew said, Dad, I know I'm going to heaven. Why can't I just die and end this pain? But he kept going 
for another decade. Thank you for your love and prayers. We love you back, Pastor Rick. For those of you who are in the Twitter and Facebook world, Pastor Rick has about a million followers on Twitter. If you are in the Twitter thing, you should follow him because his daily insights from Scripture are very powerful. But the first thing he tweeted after writing that letter and and a day or two of mourning with his family and preparing things, the first thing he tweeted out after a wave of support came in from all over the world was this, Kay and I are overwhelmed by your love, prayers, and kind words. You are all encouraging our broken hearts. But then I went back in his Twitter catalog and I realized that he had posted one tweet. Normally he'll send dozens a day. But he had posted one tweet after his son had committed suicide, but before anyone had known what had happened. One tweet just explaining the condition of his heart and what was going on. And he said this, we pray thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Since in heaven, God's will is done always. Yet on earth, it's done rarely. You know, it's interesting that in times of crisis and in times of tragedy, we've had these in our own lives. We've had these nationally, those of us who have grown up in the last 25 years. It's very normal to turn to prayer. We have asked people to pray for us in times of needs. We have offered to pray for others in times of needs. Uh, And we have heard Christians and non-Christians, people of every faith alike, talk about prayer and how it comforts at times. Yet here's what's interesting. Living in this culture of prayer, most Christians don't pray, don't know how to pray, don't know when to pray, don't know why to pray. And we find ourselves very familiar with the concept of prayer, but we, we use very rarely the tool of prayer. Uh, I said to our early service, you know, prayer, I believe, is the most unused tool in the spiritual arsenal of the Christian. Uh, maybe it's the most misunderstood tool in the arsenal of the Christian. And what I want to do today as we enter the second week of this series called Big, we're trying this week to give you small things that if you do them will have big impact in your life spiritually. I want to talk to you about prayer because there was a group of 12 men about 2,000 years ago who, like us, grew up in a culture of prayer. They were 12 Jewish boys. Maybe one of them was 20. Most of them were probably early teens or late teens. And having grown up in a place where they would walk by the temple often and see people praying, having grown up in a place where they went to synagogue, having grown up in a place where they had prayers memorized, like we have prayers memorized, having hung out for more than a year with the Messiah, a man named Jesus who prayed often, they came to him and they asked a very strange question. It would be like an American today asking this question. We live in such a culture of prayer. We talk about prayer. We ask people to pray for us. But when they got really honest, they looked at Jesus one day and said, you know, like, we don't know how to pray. Would you teach us? And, and here's what's crazy. If I ask you all, um, if you knew about prayer, most of you would say, yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with prayer. I know how to pray. If I were to say, how many volunteers would close us in prayer today on the stage with a microphone? Um, most of you would pass out or wet your pants on the way to the stage. I mean, we are not a comfortably praying people, yet it's a big part of our life. So what do we do to teach people how to pray, why to pray? When to pray, how can prayer, this little thing of prayer, how can it have huge influence in your life? That's what I want to try to answer. That's what I want to direct you towards today. If you have your Bible, we're in Luke chapter 11. 
And in Luke chapter 11, we see this conversation between Jesus and his disciples. Our ushers are going to come down the aisle. If you don't have a Bible today, just wave at them. They'll give you one. We've given away more than 400 Bibles in our church since we began just like this. If you forgot yours today, use it and throw it on a table. If you don't have one or if you don't know where yours is, this is yours. Put your name in it. Keep it. This is our gift to you. We want you to have a Bible. Every Sunday we'll open it, read it, learn from it, and see what's going on. And in Luke chapter 11... Jesus and his disciples are having a conversation about prayer. And I'm going to try to move through this at a, at a pretty serious pace today. So you might grab that bulletin and flip it over. That's where you'll find your sermon notes. Keep your Bible on your lap. We'll be moving in and around the New Testament today. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But here's the text. These men who had grown up in a generation of prayer, like us, but who really didn't know how to pray, again, I would say probably like us, came to Jesus and said, help us with this. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, Luke 11, 1 says. When he had finished, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Now, you need to underline that so you can feel good about something. If you don't know how to pray, you need to realize Jesus' disciples did not know how to pray. John the Baptist followers did not know how to pray. If a spiritual leader doesn't teach people who are engaged with him spiritually how to pray, apparently, according to the New Testament, they don't learn. Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say. Now, I'm going to teach you something about the New Testament in a minute, but you're going to hear the shortest version of the Lord's Prayer you've ever heard as recorded by Luke. Luke is one of, and you might write this word down, one of the synoptic gospels, the word synoptic in theology. It's it's the English word synopsis or summary. There are four books written about Jesus in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called synoptic gospels because 90% of the content in them is the same. It's basically three guys that had the exact same take on Jesus' life. Some give a little more, some give a little less, but together they fill in who Jesus was. You say, now, wait a minute, why would the Holy Spirit do that? Because these were real men living in real times. This would be like you and I walking out of church today, three people who had been at Journey Church International. One of them walking out said, man, the worship was great today. Another writes down the day experience and said, hey, we, um, you know, the pastor gave a message on prayer today. Another one said, I learned an exact model of how to pray. All three had the exact same, they were in the exact same place, had the exact same thing happen. They just had a little different take on it. So Luke gives us the shortest version of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew will study today because he expands on it a little bit. He was actually right there with Jesus when he taught this. But I want you to know what what the synoptic gospels means. John, on the other hand, the fourth book of Jesus' life, John wrote his book 40 to 50 years after Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written. And it was like John read them, and then he became Paul Harvey. He told the rest of the story. 90% of what's written in the book of John isn't found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Because it's as if John said, all right, they already said that. I'm going to fill in the holes so they can understand what's most important. Reading them together, we learn everything about Jesus that God wants us to learn. But here's what Jesus said to them, verse 2. So he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive anyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Verse 5, then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend. And you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I don't have any food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it'll be given to you. 
Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, today I want to teach you about prayer. I want to teach you like Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. I want to teach you not just how to pray, but why to pray. Like, what's the whole purpose of it? And then I want to show you when to pray in order to deepen your relationship with Jesus. That's my goal today. Here we go. The first question is how. Christian, how, uh, how, do, how do I pray? Um, how does Jesus teach me to pray? Well, Jesus clearly taught a pattern of prayer. I want you to go to Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 6. Because I'm going to teach Matthew through Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer. Just because it sounds a little more comfortable. But it's not even going to sound like the one we read on the screen. Because... As church history has evolved, kind of the Lord's Prayer has evolved. And, I, you know, never have we gotten doctrinally off. We just, we just add some things. And I like the way it sounds now. And I prayed it after football games and baseball games and uh, on and on and on. I, you know, I think we're comfortable with it. But I want to teach you what the Bible has to say. Because we see Jesus taught a pattern of prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9, here's what Jesus said. This then is how you should pray. He didn't say this is what you should pray. Notice the difference. Jesus didn't say, every time you pray, say the Lord's Prayer. He said, this is how you should pray. He's giving us a pattern. He's giving us a model. He said, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So if we look at Jesus' pattern of prayer, we learn not only how to pray, we learn a tremendous spirit of prayer, and, and we begin to learn how to engage in a relational dialogue with God in the correct spirit that God wants us to. How do we pray? I want to give you an acronym today that I believe teaches how we should pray. It's the word ACTS, like the book of Acts, A-C-T-S. And I want to show you today an outline that I use and I've used every day for the last 15 years. I, you know, I learned it early in college. I want to show you an acronym that you can use to guide you to pray according to the model that Jesus prayed. It's interesting because we start with the A. Jesus said when you pray, you begin with, I'm going to use the word adoration. You begin with adoration. Uh, adoration is something that has a sense of awe and a sense of love to it. You are amazed by something and, and you are in love with something. In Matthew 6, 9 and 10, Jesus said, when you pray, it should be like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus said, it's important when you pray to, to realize who you're speaking to. It's important when you pray to realize who you're speaking with and where they are. It's important that your heart and your spirit are in the right mindset when you pray. Because yes, Jesus said in John 15, 15, I call you friends, but prayer is more than just talking to a friend. Now, let me explain it this way. Some of you today, many of you maybe, couldn't get your boss on the phone today in the next 60 seconds if you needed to. I'm sure there are probably none of us in here who could get the the mayor of our city or the governor or our, of our state on the phone, probably not a soul in here um, could get the president of the United States on the phone in the next 60 seconds. Yet, according to scripture, the God of heavens and earth is available to us in a moment. Jesus said, you need to realize that's a big deal. Like the God who created the heavens and the earth has time for you and you can talk to him but you need to do it with a spirit recognizing that it's a big deal. Now, let me illustrate how this looks in the life of a Christian. A few years ago, Christian, my son Christian started playing video games. And he started playing an NBA game. And at the time, the Lakers were the best team and they were winning championships all the time. So on his game, he was always the Los Angeles Lakers. 
And because of his diligence and time spent playing this video game, like he knew every player on the Lakers. He knew every player on the bench of the Lakers. He knew how tall they were. He knew how much they weighed. He knew they went to co- where they went to college. He knew how m- many points they averaged. I mean, like he was a little general manager of the real Los Angeles Lakers on his video game. I just love the Lakers. And we happened to be in Phoenix one weekend when the Lakers were in town. I, you know, I saw a banner or a billboard somewhere that the Lakers were in town. And I told Danielle, I should see if I could scout tickets take Christian to the Lakers game because this, you know, like he, he would be blown away. So we found some cheap tickets up in the nosebleeds. Hey, Christian, we're going to go watch the Lakers play. I was so excited. And here was my plan because our seats were so far away. I said, we'll get there right when the doors open. Maybe the Lakers will still be having their shoot around. Maybe you can stand at the edge of the court. Maybe you can give someone five. Maybe you can yell. Maybe you can get an autograph. We'll get there as soon as we can. Try to get there early. Maybe you can see some of the Lakers up close. That was our goal. We got there two hours before the doors opened, and there was already a line, hundreds of people long. We stood in line. Doors finally opened. And by the time we got into dragging my little son with me into the gym, there was already such a crowd around the entrance where the Lakers came in and out of the, out of the court that there really wasn't a way to get there. And as the Lakers came out, they were signing autographs. They were giving people five. But Christian was so little, he just, he couldn't work his way into this crowd that was three or four deep. And we went up high and we went down low. And I, you know, I tried to lift him up and just nothing worked. And they ended up exiting the court and they were done with warm-ups. And I just said, I'm sorry. Um, like, I, you know, I tried my best. And as we were walking back up to our seats, a security guard, unbeknownst to us, had been watching us. And he came up and he said, hey, come, come here. And he said, uh, what's your name? And I told him and... So what's your son's name? And I told him, I said, what are y'all doing here? I said, we're from Kansas City, just in town. My son loves the Lakers. He's them on a video game. And, you know, he just wanted to, you know, kind of see him. And he said, uh, he said, I'll tell you what. He said, I saw that he was too little. So he said, I, um, I'm in charge of the tunnel. And he said, just hang with me. And he said, when the uh, Lakers run out, he can stand in, in the tunnel with me on the floor and he can give them all five uh, when they run out. So, you know, there goes Christian back with the security guard. Here comes the Lakers. And he said, you know, so little, he's like this, you know, trying to give them all five And here come the Lakers, one by one, smacking Christian's hand as they come out. Now, you can imagine the look on his face, right? That's the look of adoration. How come when we pray, we think of God more as a secretary than the Los Angeles Lakers? Like, Jesus said it's important when you pray to understand you're talking to God. Like, God Like, let there be like God, part the Red Sea, God, sun stand still, God, Lazarus come out, God, Jesus come out of the grave, God. You're talking to God. So get your mind right when you talk to God and appreciate where you are in his presence. We would say this on our outline if if we were making a list of, you know, how do you make a list of adoration? You're just going to tell God why you love him. And maybe on that day it's it's the beautiful day or maybe it's a blessing or you're going to tell God why you love him. You're going to begin praying by telling God you realize he's God and why you love him. Then you're going to move quickly to the letter C, which, which would stand for confession. Anytime we read anyone in scripture who was ever put into God's presence, whether it was in front of a burning bush, whether it was in front of an angel of the Lord, whether it was in front of Jesus himself, they all dropped and said, we're not worthy to be in the presence of God. See, the first thing that should happen when you think, oh my gosh, I'm talking to God is I really don't deserve to be talking to God. Yet he has allowed me. So we ask God, it it sounds real simple. We ask God to forgive us of our sins. This confession means I just confess my sins to God. Now, Matthew 6, 12 in the New International Version says, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. The Lord's Prayer we prayed before that maybe you have prayed says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's a better word, but the definition is even better. What does trespass mean? It means to offend. It means to be in error. 
It means to get it wrong. It means to commit sin. So you're admitting, you know, my gosh, I'm talking to the God of the universe, but, you know, I know I did this wrong and I did this wrong. And God, I know I offended you here and I actually committed a real sin here. And, you know, I was in error in the way I treated my husband or wife. So we immediately begin to say, God, I know I'm talking to you, but because I don't deserve it, I, I need you to forgive me for some things. Because when I'm around you, I realize how far I have to go and I confess my sins to God. That follows very quickly by thanksgiving. That's what the T stands for. By thanksgiving, you might write the word gratitude. This would be a better word, but A-C-G-S doesn't spell a word, so we're going to say thanksgiving. Uh, but gratitude is, the real, gratitude is the real thought here. It's the thought that I'm extremely grateful for things in my life. And God, I want you to know that I realize you're God, and I want you to realize that, you know, I'm not who I'm supposed to be yet, but I want you to realize I'm thankful for these things. And if you were to, if you live with a good spirit of gratitude, you would not be able to this afternoon even write a list of all the things you're grateful for because you'll just keep remembering more from your health to your home to your job to your kids to your parents to living in the great, uh, the, the, uh, great country of America to on and on and on and on and on. I mean, we, we, we would never run out of things to be grateful for if we truly had gratitude in our hearts. So we would say the T stands for just thanking God simply for the blessings in your life. And then the S would stand for supplication. You say, what does supplication mean? It's the word we get supply from. It liter- it's a list. It's a supplication is a list of things you need. So in prayer, we can ask God for things. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, ask him for your daily bread. Ask God to provide for your physical needs. It's healthy in prayer. And then Jesus says, ask God to lead you not into temptation, but deliver you from the evil one. So Jesus says, Every, you should ask God for the things you need. Physically and spiritually, you should ask God for those. But it's interesting because most of us never get off the S. You know what I mean? It's like our prayer life consists in S. God, I need this. God, I need this. God, I need this. And God is our secretary, not our God. We give him our list and we're out. And then when he gives it to us, we rarely even stop to say thank you. We just give him the list for the next day or the next week or the next month or the next time. So Jesus says when you pray... Fix your heart, fix your mind, realize you're talking to God, confess before God where you got it wrong. Thank God for all the wonderful things that he has given you and then tell God what you need because he is okay with that. So that's why or that's how we pray. According to Jesus, the Lord's prayer teaches us how to pray. We love God. We confess our sins to God. We thank God. We tell God what we need. Now, the one thing I have asked our team to do today, and and they won't do it till the end of the service, but I have created this little sticker for everyone today that teaches you this little prayer outline. Because again, I've used it for 15 years. This has really taught me how to pray. A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And at the end of the service, they're going to pass these out. And my goal for you is, like I have done, to maybe stick it on the inside of your Bible, uh, put it near someplace you pray, put it on a notebook cover, you know, stick it on a, not a desk, but stick it in your office on a bulletin board. Take this and remember not only that we're supposed to pray, but remember how to pray with this little sticker when we give it to you in a little bit. But Jesus says, this is how you pray. But then he also tells us why we pray, which is really, really cool. I hear people say all the time, well, God knows what we need. Why are we supposed to ask him? That is both a great question yet a a spiritually empty question at the exact same time because Jesus tells us why we pray in Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 8. And here's what Jesus says. Let me me draw a picture for you, um, and then I'll answer the question. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine 
um, on a journey has come to me and I don't have any food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked and, I, and, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Say, Christian, why do I pray? What, you know, why should I pray? Because of what I call audacious friendship. Because you realize, according to what Jesus just said in Luke chapter 11, Jesus said, there's things you're going to have in life just because you're my friend. Forgiveness, you're going to have that by being my friend. Eternal life, you're going to have that by being my friend. Purpose and direction, if you'll read your Bible, you're going to have that by, because you're my friend. But there may be things, other things that you want. There may be other things that you need. And Jesus said, if you will be an audacious friend, and you will ask me for those, and you will keep asking me for those, I'll give you even more than the normal friend would have. I love God's quotation to David. You have to know the Bible to know this story. But when David was in sin and he offended God deeply, God's answer to him was, David, why did you do that? I've given you so much. And if you needed more, I would have given you more. Why didn't you just ask me instead of going to do your own thing? See, God says, I'm looking for audacious friendships where people will prove to me they need more and continue to bring it before me again and again and again and again. And I'll give it to them. Now, in John chapter 10, verse 10, one of my favorite verses, this, this is what our church is all about this month. I believe there's more to Christianity than where you are now. Whether you are the most spiritually minded person in our church today or whether you're not even a Christian, there is more to your Christianity than where you are. There's more to Christianity than eternal value. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come so that you might have life and you might have it to the full. I've come to give you more in life than you currently have is what Jesus is saying. So all month long, we've been focusing on what we call spiritual next steps. I've provided a link for you on your bulletin page. These are actually available at the next steps 10. If you don't want to print them out and you just want a little booklet to carry around, this is the more. This is the what's next. This is what... Can Jesus add to my life? These are the next steps of spiritual life for all of us. And I'm telling you, no one's doing 12 out of 12 all their life. We can all have more. But in Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 8, Jesus said, if you need more, ask for more. You pray because you believe in audacious friendship. You believe God cares and he wants to help you with the things in your life that aren't perfect yet. Let me ask you, do you have any messed up things in your life that need to be a little more perfect? Do you have any habits? Do you have any addictions? Do you have any relationships that are busted? Do you have any needs in your life that you really need God to move on? See, I, I believe that if, if one of the events in the Olympics was worrying, I believe that I could be like a five-time gold medalist in Olympic worrying. And, and I, I mean, I really believe, to be honest with you, that I worry and stress and have anxiety that's on a level almost of sin uh, because I just I struggle to trust God in so many things. I often tell people when God handed out faith, he gave me like the smallest possible portion because I worry about everything. And a few years ago, I realized that through audacious friendship, Jesus was saying, Christian, I can help you with that if you'll begin to bring that to me again and again and again and again. And I began to memorize verses about worry and anxiety and stress. And all these verses about worry and anxiety and stress said, give them to God. Well, how do you give them to God? You pray. You talk to God. Verses like Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Don't be anxious about anything. Man, if you're like me, you need to memorize this verse. This is a good pill for anxiety. Don't be anxious about anything. The word anxious in the Greek means filled with anxiety. 
But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. First Peter 5, 7, cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Psalm 55, 22, cast your cares upon the Lord and he'll sustain you. He'll never let the righteous be shaken. Matthew eleven twenty eight. come to me, all you who are weary, burdened, and I will give you rest. How do we come to God? How do we cast to God? How do we give God things in prayer? In audacious friendship. Hate your job, want a new job, start giving that to God. Give it to him every day until he responds. Need God to touch a loved one's heart or personality or a relationship that's shattered, start giving it to God. Have an addiction or a habit or some internal struggle, start giving it to God. You want your kids to love God or your spouse to love God or you need God to help you out of this unbelievable situation that you're in, start giving that to God over and over and over and over. This is why we pray because God says audacious friendship proves to me you understand who I am, what I can do, and just watch me work in your life. So we pray. You say, okay, like when do I pray? At church, like, do I come to the altar, which we don't even do a lot here? You know, when do I pray? Okay, I understand how to pray. I understand why to pray. I get that. Spiritually, I get that. But when do I pray? Well, this, this is a, an interesting question that has a lot of different answers. But when do I pray tells us this fact. We all need to learn how to spend time alone with God. And I'll give you this little tidbit of, I mean, it's pretty simple information, but you can't ever have time alone with God unless you have time alone. So if you're never alone, you're going to have to build some alone time in your life so you can have time alone with God. But you say, when, when do I pray? It, good question. First Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray continually. Say, what does that mean? So I just pray like all day, every day, and I never stop. Like I just, I go to bed praying and I wake up praying and I pray in between. What does it mean to pray continually? That's, that means to have a thought, really to have an attitude, to have what I would call an acts attitude, to realize God is God and you need him and you're grateful for what he's done in your past and you need him to do something in your future. I mean, really continual prayers having a, a soul attitude of this ACTS acronym. But sometimes prayer is little and it's quick and it is momentary. The book of Nehemiah was written in the Old Testament about a man named Nehemiah and we see about a dozen prayers of Nehemiah all that will fit within a text message. Uh, I mean, they're like less than one sentence. In Nehemiah 6, 9, here's one prayer. I mean, start to finish complete prayer. Um, now strengthen my hands. He doesn't even say Amen. And he doesn't start with, dear God, that's his prayer. Strengthen my hands. Nehemiah 13, 31. Here's his prayer. I mean, this is his complete prayer, front to back. Remember me with favor, my God. End of prayer. Doesn't start with, oh, Holy Father, of what you know, doesn't end with in Jesus' name. I mean, it's just like, God, help me. So there are times when in an awareness, we just, you know, we are continually praying with a recognition that God is there and we need God. I, I would call these quick prayers, prayers of gratitude which maybe some of you pray over, over a meal. Every time you eat, I would call that a, a prayer of gratitude. God, thanks for the food. I mean, you know, it's quick. Um, you know, I, I tell people, if, if we're going out to lunch, um, I'm going to pray. And if you pray more than 10 seconds, I'm going to eat. Because, you know, at, at the meal, don't pray for world peace at the meal. You pray for that on your own time. At the meal, thank God for the meal and let's eat because I'm probably hungry. Just quick prayers. God, thanks for the food. Um, moments of blessing. Man, I get that great phone call with that great news. It's appropriate to say, God, thank you for that. I've been praying for something to happen, and it happens. Um, God, thank you that that's okay. Prayers of need are continual prayer thoughts. That literally, the moment you hear a need, the smallest of need to the biggest of need, you pray, God, be with that. 
had a situation this week. One of the gals in our church went into labor at 32 weeks uh, and immediately text messages started flying of here's what's going on and everyone prayed. Now, we didn't get together. We didn't get on our knees. We didn't pray for hours, but it was like, Lord, help that situation. Like right now, we know you know her. We know you know her baby and everything's okay. Everything worked out. But it's like those are like, like in the midst of crisis, we pray. And then moments of wonder. Some of my greatest prayers are prayed in the most beautiful sunrises, in the most beautiful sunsets. Anytime, you know, I get up in the Rocky Mountains or I'm on a beach and I see just the, the span of the ocean, a, a beautiful starry night. It's like, man, thank you, God, for creation. It's unbelievable. It's just quick and easy. Um, but those prayers aren't going to help you really get real close to Jesus. Those are what I would call social media prayers. Um, those are status updates. Y'all, y'all familiar? Do any of you have a Facebook account? Um, any of you have a Twitter account or Instagram? I mean, you know, this is just quick and easy. Hey, God, I know you're there. Thanks. It's kind of, you're just kind of updating God on your life. But that's not developing deep friendships any more than Facebook develops deep friendships. Uh, I, I had something weird happen on Facebook a few months ago. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been a year, really a year of tragedy and gun violence in our country the last 12 to 15 months, um, coast to coast, things have happened that shouldn't happen. And after one of those events, I posted on my Facebook page, I mean, just quick and easy, um, man, let's make sure we're praying for the victims of X. And literally within a minute, um, one of my, uh, you know, very sensitive Democrat friends said, we need prayers and gun control to within 30 seconds, one of my Republican friends um, posted a picture of himself looking like Rambo. And he's like, you know, so politically correct. Guns don't kill people. People, people kill people. You know, I looked at the picture. I was like, people like you, like, you know, you're crazy. Um, and then one of my, and then one of my hippie Facebook friends, um, like hippie, she's like a hippie chick, um, posted, you know, real men don't need guns. And then one of my gangster friends posted, you know, I will pop a cap and you, you know, and it's like one of my friends called me. And they're like, dude, there is a war on your Facebook page. I wasn't even aware of it. I posted the prayer and left. And they're like, seriously, there's a war on your Facebook page and the hippie chick may be hurt. Like, yeah, some, this is not good here. So I went and I looked at my page and I told Daniel, get a computer. And we pulled it up, you know, and there's all these people having this argument on my Facebook page. And Daniel's like, who are those people? And I said, I don't even know. And she said, well, how are you friends with them? And I said, well, they probably ask me. And she said, you accept every friend request you get? And I was like, aren't you supposed to? And she's like, no, you don't have... Like, some people are only friends with people that they really know. And it hit me as I was studying for this message this week, there are people in our church and churches across the country who have accepted Jesus' friend request without any intention of ever getting to know him more or any direction on how to get to know him more. Like, he's just a social media guy. And we give him status updates, but we have no real relationship. We don't know where he lives, what he does. We don't know what he believes. He's, he's just a thing in our life, and we've accepted his salvation, but we have no desire to get to know him. And it's like, that's not going to work. I mean, if we really want to be friends with Jesus, that relationship won't work. We've got to have more. We've got to go deeper. So prayers of gratitude, good. Prayers of need, good. Moments of wonder, good. This thought of praying continually, great. But what I'm talking about when I challenge you to pray and we're getting ready to go into a 40-day prayer challenge, I'm talking about what I would call relational prayer. I'm talking about spending time with God in prayer 
where you can flush some things out. In Psalm 55, 17, David said this. He was known as a man who was after God's own heart. David said, evening and morning and noon I will pray and I'll cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. There was this thought that David had set times in his day where he would stop to talk to God. So he said, Christian, how do I develop a relational prayer life? How can I develop a prayer life that helps my spiritual life go from here to here? How do I deepen my friendship with Jesus? Let me give you a few things that you need to begin doing if if God is challenging you to step into a not just prayer but a prayer life today. Number one is you, you need to you need to set a time that you're going to pray. And it needs to try to be the same time every day. Maybe it's early in the morning. Maybe it's right before you go to bed. Maybe it's on your lunchtime. Some of my strongest prayer warrior friends pray in their car on the way to work. They have a 10 or a 20 or an hour commute. They shut off the radio. They do not answer their phones. They turn it on. Uh, they, they turn it off so they can't hear it. And they just spend 30 minutes to an hour every day talking to God. You need to set a time. When is your time that you're alone that you can talk to God? Secondly, set a place. Maybe it's your kitchen table. Maybe your kitchen's a mess and that distracts you, so it needs to be your bedroom. Um, Maybe it needs to be your office. Maybe it needs to be your desk. Maybe it needs to be a certain couch. Find a spot in the house. We would call this a prayer closet, a private place where you go. Maybe it's your car. Maybe it's if you have a a several-block walk to get the mail. Maybe it's while you're going to get the mail. Maybe it's while you're walking your dog and you're outside by yourself. Maybe it's when you go jogging if if you work out or when you run on the treadmill. I'm talking about a time that you're alone. A place and a time, same place, same time where you're alone, that you can begin to talk to God. Now, I love, if possible, for people to get in a prayer posture. Philippians 2.10 says, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is God. So I like to pray on my knees. Clearly, I can't do that when I'm driving, nor can I do that on a treadmill. But if you have time before bed, or if you have time when you get out of bed, I have one friend who will never put his feet on the ground. Every day when he slides out of bed, he slides out knees first. And before he even gets up, he will on his knees say, God, be with me today. Then he will stand up and walk. I love this thought of being in a posture of realizing I'm talking to God, like the real God. And my prayer time may be in my car, but my knees at some point during the day are on the ground saying, God, help me. I love to pray with my kids before they go to bed. Where is your place? Where is your time? What is your posture? Uh, Prayer becomes then ongoing conversation. It's not a list of old holy... It's, It's like Nehemiah. You might start praying for something on Wednesday, on Monday. God, I need you to help me with this thing on Wednesday. And then on Tuesday, you're going to say something like this. God, I told you about this thing yesterday, and it's going to happen tomorrow. And then on Wednesday, you might say, God, today is the day. Help me. And then on Thursday, you might say, God, we did that thing. and didn't go so well, so now I need you to do this. Or God, it went awesome. Thank you. You begin to, here's what happens. God becomes a part of your everyday life. It's like, oh my gosh, he, he has become a real friend, not a Facebook friend. I love for people to get a prayer list. Here's how you begin to learn how to pray. Because some people say, like, I pray for a minute and I can't think of anything else. Get a prayer list. Develop a prayer list. Um, Use a prayer guide. Now, you say, what's the goal of this 40 days of prayer? What's the goal of learning to pray relationally, Christian? It's this. I want you to learn to pray. I want you to take the step of having relational prayer in your life so you can gain intimacy with God through your time in prayer and through answered prayer. There's something that clicks inside your soul when you've been praying for something that happens and you, and you realize, oh my gosh, like God heard that and he did that and he cares. And it, it, like, it will change your life forever when you have an, a prayer answered and it'll just drive you to want to pray more. So we've got listed on here a, a link that you can go to. Pastor Reinhold asked him six weeks ago, I said, find the, the easiest, simplest, best prayer guide that you can for people to use 
as an outline for their life. So he came up with this, it's like 40-some page document called A Journey in Prayer. And every day, I mean, it's literally like one verse, two paragraphs. Here's a verse to focus on God. Here's what this means. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to print this out. Along the side of this, I want you to put A-C-T-S. I want you to fill in one or two things a week. God, here's this week, here's the things I'm going to focus on Why I love you. God, this week, here's the things I'm going to confess to you. I told the early service, I often don't write down the things I confess in case someone would ever find them. Kind of memorize those so that it doesn't appear on someone's Facebook page. Look at the things Pastor Christian is confessing. Uh, that'd be scary for all of us. My Thanksgiving, these are the things that I'm real thankful for. I write two or three or five, maybe. And then my supplication list. These are the things, God, I need from you or that people around me need from you. And you can see how you can begin to spend time with God because that list can grow. To where all of a sudden, you are every day, much of the day, talking to God and see him, seeing him move. And all of a sudden, he's, he's not a Facebook friend. He's a real friend that you actually hang out with. So he said, Christian, what, what's the goal of this message? It's pretty simple. Your next steps today, here's what I'd like you to do. If, if you want to take this little step that's going to be huge for you spiritually, one, take the 40-day prayer challenge. And just starting tomorrow... Just try. Just try. Say, man, I'm not even sure how to do that. Here's the step. Print this out. Keep it with you or put it with you somewhere. And here's what I want you to do starting tonight. I want you to develop your weekly, what I would call, acts prayer list. And our ushers are going to actually come down the aisle right now and pass out these stickers so that you can put it someplace where you will pray or where you will see to pray. And I just want, and listen, you can throw this away. You can tear it up. You can put it in your Bible. You can put it in your car. You can put it in your mirror, in your bathroom. You can put it in your office. You can put it someplace where it will remind you not only to pray, but how to pray. And I want you to go home, take this sticker, print this thing out. And just for this week, for the first seven days, you can pray the same thing. What, what do I love God for? What do I, what do I, where am I in error? Where have I gone wrong? Where do I need God's help? What am I thankful for? What are the things I'm, what are the things I'm going to thank God for this week? If you have a job, that's a good one. If you have healthy kids, that's a good one. If you have a good marriage, that's a good one. And I could go on and on and on. Um, and then what do I need from God? What are some things that I need from God? And I'm going to write those down. And for, and for 40 days, I'm going to focus on this. I promise you, if you do this, 40 days from now, your spiritual life will be radically, radically different. Now, let me say this. For those of you who are in here who are not Christians yet, and you've just been watching us and checking us out and trying to figure out, you know, should I become a Christian? Should I not become a Christian? If your mindset matches this sticker, you're ready to place your faith in Jesus. If your mindset is, I realize there's a God much bigger than me. I just don't know how my life could meet his standards. But I'm thankful for what it appears Jesus did for me. And I admit that I need his help in these areas the rest of my life. Guess what? Your spirit is ready to follow Jesus. So what about my life? Your life follows your spirit. But your spirit, if you're realizing there's a God, and you're realizing that, you know, you need someone to help mediate that relationship, and you're thankful for what he did for you, and you need him going forward, your spirit matches the spirit of someone who has stepped into the Christian life to follow Jesus. So we're going to do two things today. In just a minute, we're going to pray. And I'm going to give those of you who are here, who you're Christians, who you've lived in a culture of prayer, but you have never prayed, I'll give you an opportunity to, in this moment, give God the next 40 days and say, God, I will try every day to begin to engage relationally with you in prayer. 
And then I want to give those of you who may not be Christians yet today the opportunity to pray the first and greatest prayer you'll ever pray, the prayer saying, I need you, I want you, forgive where I don't deserve you, and help me going forward where I desperately need your help. And then we'll go home. So let's pray together. Would you please just bow your heads and close your eyes. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to speak first to the Christians in the room today. The most valuable tool in your garage of Christianity that maybe you have never used, that you don't even know how to use, is the tool of prayer. And with heads bowed and eyes closed today, I want to ask you to commit 40 days of your life. That's barely, that's less than a tenth of this year. I'm going to ask you to commit that to God in prayer and to begin to have a real relationship, not just a status update relationship with the God of the universe and to become his real friend. So I want you, my Christian friends in here today, to just in a moment of quietness, in a moment of prayer in your heart, say, God, because of my desire to know you more, I don't desire to just do things for the sake of doing them, but because I want to know you more, because I want to be closer to you, because I want you more in my life, God, I will try to commit the next 40 to you, even if it's only a minute a day, even if it's 10 seconds in the morning or 10 seconds at night, I will get on my knees before Almighty God and say, help me and thank you. And I love you. And forgive me. And God, I pray for my friends in here who will do that. That their life might begin to radically be transformed one day at a time. And I pray for those in here today who are not yet Christians. Your spirit matches what you need to follow Jesus. But you've struggled with something for one reason or another in stepping out to follow him. Today, if you acknowledge that there is a God and that you need him. And that you understand your life is not been everything he's wanted for you and you've fallen short of his standard but you're thankful that Jesus came and lived and died and was buried and rose again and you need you need God to help you tomorrow and next week and next month and for the rest of your life your spirit is ready to receive Jesus and to follow him and if that's you I just want you to pray this prayer you don't even have to say it out loud you can just follow along repeat after me in your own heart and with your spirit today place your heart your future and your eternity in Jesus' hands. For those of you today who want to begin to follow Jesus and become a Christian, pray this, dear God. I admit that I need you. I know that I don't deserve you. And maybe I understand that uh, I've fallen way short of who you have wanted me to be. But I ask you to forgive me for that. I thank you for sending Jesus to be my example and to pay the penalty for my sin. And God, I ask that you be with me today and tomorrow and every day for the rest of my life because I admit that I need you, not just for eternity, but for the rest of my life. Now, with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, please, no one looking around. But today, if you just prayed that prayer and today you said, I have decided to become a Christian, would you just slip your hand up right now so that I can know it and just say, man, thank you, God, for what you've done. Just right now, slip your hand up and you can put it right back down. Yes. Anybody else? Christian, I just prayed with you. Today I've become a Christian. God, thank you for your challenge. Thank you for your directions. You always tell us what we need to know to be closer to you. Help us to seek it out, learn it, follow it. God, transform our life by it. We ask these things today in Jesus' name. And everyone said together, Amen.